This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon and welcome to Good Things, our weekly segment where we speak to good people doing good things. This week, I'm joined by two of the wonderful people behind Allergic Rescuers KL, Lynette Yi and Rosie Kim, who are members of the network. And it's um, really a network of individuals who have been rescuing, vetting and rehoming stray cats around KL and the surrounding areas. So this is, um, I understand, a team of independent rescuers who are doing this, you know, in their own time. They're doing this on a volunteer basis. And so today we want to find out more about what they do and how people, I guess, can do their part to help, um, whether it's the team or even the strays in their own area. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you two? Oh, we're good. Thank you. Yeah, really good. <laughs> um, perhaps I'll start with you, Rosie. You know, tell me a bit about Allergic Rescuers KL. How did it get started? And I'm sure you get this a lot. Why the name? Ah, yeah. Um, it started when I moved to KL, I guess, four years ago. And uh, I was previously in a bit more of a, a fashion kind of business background in Hong Kong. And uh, I came here and I wasn't working immediately, so I just thought it might be a good way for me to spend my time and get more involved with the stray animals here. So I started out working at a shelter, which was an interesting experience, and I kind of decided that maybe um, through using a foster network, it might be uh, possible for me to start out on our own as well. So at first, it was just me and a friend, um, and then eventually just kind of grew to what it is now, um, and it, because there are lots of people who are doing similar things and, you know, wanted to get involved and were looking for more of like a support network of other rescuers as well. So it kind of grew organically in that uh, we have these rescuers that we kind of met through social media or through adoption drives when they were happening back in the day, and we realized we kind of had similar philosophies in the way we approach things and in terms of how we know what our own capacities are, what our own boundaries are, what we're capable of doing, but also with very similar values in terms of how we want to deal with these animals. We really want to be thorough about medical vetting, for example, but we also want to be very thorough about vetting adoption applications. So yeah, it just kind of worked out. So we have, um, we right now have a team of eight people and we're all with the exception of myself, everyone has a full-time job. Uh, we all have family, <clears throat> family obligations and social obligations and things that we do here. And uh, the cat rescue is only a part of our lives, even though it takes up, you know, <laughs> a lot of time <laughs> and mental capacity, but in a good way, in a good way. So we're, we're happy to do it, but it's not the only thing we all do. So we're called Allergic Rescuers because it was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek name, but basically... Most of us are really, really allergic to cats. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, not so much dogs, but particularly cats were very allergic. Mm. Um, so it, when I first started, uh, I was having like asthma symptoms and I had to go on asthma medication and like inhaler and like it was really serious. Oh, and, uh, you know, I couldn't sleep at night because I was coughing so much and it was really, really severe. But, you know, the amazing thing is... Um, my, I think my body has grown like a tolerance to it. So <laughs> right now it's really not that bad. Like I just have a really severe kind of sniffles all the time. So I'm always like with tissues and everything. But other than that, the coughing is gone and the asthma symptoms are gone. Thank God. Um, but yeah, it's not just me. Like most of our teammates all have allergies, but we have found ways to kind of make it work. You know, lots of 
ventilation and air purifying and uh, what else? Um, antihistamine, <laughs> yes, yes. Sometimes not letting cats sleep with you can help. It helps some people. Um, and uh, generally kind of letting your body grow a tolerance. Mm. How did you get involved in it? I actually started out as a foster. Um, I was scrolling through Pet Finder, I think, in 2018 or towards the end of 2018. And um, so then Rosie's name popped up as, you know, somebody who was adopting out a cat. I I wasn't actually looking for a cat. I was very happy with my cats. But (laughs) she did mention in the blurb that uh, they're looking for fosters as well. So I kind of buzzed her. Uh, to see if, you know, that would be a suitable thing, if that would be something I could get involved with. Um, And it kind of took off for there. So I did end up fostering for them, I think, maybe in the first quarter of 2019 um, was my first foster. Um, And then just a couple months later, she was like, hey, would you like to join the team? We're kind of forming one. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, why not? And look where we are now, like four years later. Um, tell tell me a bit about um, you know I mentioned earlier that uh, allergic rescuers rescues vets and rehomes stray cats, but can you share more about what the team does in general? Um, that would probably be the most important thing we do. Is that I think the the majority of our time is spent on actually trying to rehome is mm. the part that we focus on. But there are a lot of steps before we get to rehoming a cat. So that would mean the initial rescue, which usually actually doesn't take up as much time as you think. (laughs) And then uh, the medical vetting is the other part that can take a while. Some animals we rescue quite healthy and then they just need simple, you know, defleeing, dewarming uh, their initial vaccinations and stay neuter before they're ready to go. Other animals, it takes a lot longer, um, especially if they have something like FIP, which is normally a fatal disease, but it doesn't have to be if we Mm -hmm. can afford the meds. So we do fundraising and then um, they have to be injected for 84 days in a row, followed by 84 days of observation. Um, That's if everything goes to plan. So, you know, that's already like six months. Mm. (laughs) Um, Or if they have a um, intense surgical procedure that they need to uh, recover from or Something more simple like flu that's more chronic and uh, just takes a while for them to be ready to be vaccinated. So it just kind of depends. It it can take a while. But uh, we really do try to focus on proper medical vetting. So we won't let animals go unless we know what's going on with them. Um, We're clear on the treatment plan. We're clear on what the path looks like. Um, So they're either recovered or if it's a chronic thing, we can at least explain to the adopters this is exactly what's going on. Um, this is what you should be expecting. These are the medications. This is the approximate cost. This is the doctor you should see so they can continue the treatment. Um, so we're very, very, very thorough about that. So there won't be a situation where you adopt a cat from us and, you know, <laughs> they come with like fleas or something like that. No, mm-hmm. that is not, that's not how we want to do it. We want to be reliable. We want to be transparent and we want to run like a proper business in the sense that we can be trusted upon, even though we're not actively you know for profit <laughs> hmm. um i i noticed that some of you also um are involved in trap news to return cases right is that mm-hmm. is that an important part of what you do you know why is that why is that an, a, a humane way of managing populations of strays um yes it is a big part of what we do actually um and uh, that's just because not all cats can be rehomed so if we do you know trap or take in a stray 
we also do, uh, you know, observe and see if they can, actually can be rehomed or, or if they can't. And some are just so used to the outdoors, they'll be utterly mm. miserable indoors. Uh, and so one humane way of managing the stray population would be to spay them, uh, spay and neuter, and then when they have recovered, uh, we release them where we got them. Uh, and that is a much better way of controlling the population than perhaps calling the local authorities because I think when the local authorities get their hands on them, um, first of all, they probably get culled. And I don't blame them because, you know, there's limited space, limited resources, limited funds. Uh, so that, that would be one, one. But what they don't realize is that when you remove a stray from a colony mm-hmm. um, and you don't return the stray to that colony, new cats will just come in. So there is no end to managing the population, so to speak. But whereas if we catch them and we spay and neuter them and we release them back to that colony, that prevents uh, new cats from coming in. And so that's one way that we manage the stray, stray population as well. Mm. Um, Lynette, I, I, I know that you, you guys make it clear on your social media pages that you're not a shelter as well. Why is that distinction important? Because uh, a lot of people reach out to us thinking that we're a shelter uh, and assuming that we have space for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cats and we don't. And so a lot of time when people contact us and go, hey, look, I found this stray cat or I found five kittens or I found a mom and a whole litter of babies. Can you take them? Um, we have to explain, no, we're not a shelter. We don't have the room. There's eight of us. We all foster. Um, some of us have up to eight, nine cats in our own homes. And uh, we have a foster network, maybe about 20-odd fosters mm-hmm. around there. Yeah. Um, and so that's it. That's our limit. We're full. In fact, we board some of the cats um, at, at home borders because we just don't have the capacity. So people need to understand that we're not a shelter and we can't just keep taking in cats. Yeah. But even if it were a shelter, everybody has capacity limits, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that the most important thing is that people need to understand that Nobody has unlimited space. Nobody has unlimited resources or money or time to take care of all these animals. So um, what we're trying to instill in more people is this idea of independent rescuing. So, you know, these experienced rescuers like us or shelters exist to provide guidance, perhaps. Um, and it may be recommendations on vets or, you know, how to get them adopted out or as a platform from exposure. But I think the only way that the stray problem can really be tackled is if people are willing to take on um, one-off rescue cases on their own rather than thinking that rescuing means I take this cat off the streets and I give it to somebody else. That's not, that's not what rescuing is. So we're trying to kind of um, instill an understanding and try to educate that there is a difference. And hopefully people will also be able to take part in rescuing more because a lot of people assume that taking a cat or a dog in means that they have to keep them, but that's not true. The idea is that you take them in temporarily and uh, just give them some time and attention um, and hopefully medical attention until, you know, somebody else can take that responsibility on as an adoption. But, you know, fostering is always a good middle step that a lot of people kind of forget exists. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really important and it's not something that you can just pass the buck to somebody else because nobody else can just take on everyone's cases. Hmm. Um, And I'll dive into that a bit more later to talk about the fostering aspect of it, right? But I want to know, I guess, 
has it made um you know you know as you said these are things that we can go at individually right so what made you guys decide to do this as a group you know what difference has that made to your ability to rescue and rehome these cats i think all of us bring different gifts and talents we all have our own specialties if you can if you can call it that so mm-hmm. we have members who are like queen of trap neuter release right <laughs> <laughs> and they make it look so easy, <laughs> you know. And then we have those who take on uh, difficult medical cases, like, you know, like Rosie and another team member, where, like, if there's, like, paralyzed cats and they need their, um, they can't go to the toilet on their own, so they need their bladders expressed, um, or they need to be given subcutaneous fluids. So when we have team members who can do that, then we have those who are wonderful at integration. We can just put any cat together and somehow she manages to integrate them all. And then you've got those that are a little bit obsessed with kittens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we all have different gifts or different talents within the animal rescue, uh, you know, and some are good at organization. So they handle the fosters foster part of it because that's a lot of admin work mm. uh, some handle our finances because they're good with accounts and it's like it kind of uh, kind of makes us all very interdependent and it works mm. i mean there's a there's clearly a lot more that goes on behind the scenes right you see on social media pages it's cute photos cute videos but really there's so much work that needs to be done before a cat is you know healthy and ready for adoption um, let's go for a quick break now and we'll, we'll continue our conversation about um, the work that allergic rescuers do after um, a few quick messages. I'm speaking today to Rosie Kim and Lynette Gee, who are members of Allergic Rescuers KL for our ep- episode of Good Things this week. Keep it here on Good Things on the Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Good Things on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su. And this week, I'm speaking to the folks behind, or a couple of them behind, um, Allergic Rescuers KL, which is a network of individuals who are um, doing this on their own time, who are rescuing, vetting, and rehoming strays um, around KL, around um, and in the surrounding areas. So I am joined today by Rosie Kim and Lynette Yi. And before the break, they were sharing about how you know how things got started and the really a lot of the hard work that goes on behind the scenes when you are trying to help stray cats. Um, You know, Lynette, I understand that you're the one who is specializing in taking care of kittens, especially the really young ones. Um, Tell me more about that and I guess why why that was particularly interesting to you. Um, It might have something to do with the first foster that I ever got was two days old. Um, And I knew absolutely nothing, not just about fostering, but about kittens. Um, and so it was a super steep learning curve. Uh, I googled everything. Uh, there's really helpful resources on the internet, um, especially one called Kitten Lady uh, in the US. Um, and so I watched, I think, every video there was. Uh, I read everything that I could. I picked Rosie's brains um, as well. And, and so that was my first, first foster ever. Uh, shortly after I got him, I got another uh, three, also neonates, so really young kittens, I think about maybe three, four, five days old. Um, unfortunately, the first one didn't make it. Mm. <clears throat> he had a um, progressive uh, neurological uh, disease, so he only made it to six weeks and four days. 
Um, and so, you know, that kind of actually had the opposite effect. You would think that because he didn't make it, that would be like, oh my God, I'm never ever going to do this again. Mm-hmm. But actually, um, it kind of made me realize how vulnerable these kittens are and how they really need an advocate uh, and someone who's not afraid of their vulnerability, you know, and just to be able to do it. And so that kind of actually spurred me on um, to just want to help neonatal kittens. Um, I, I think I've learned quite a bit uh, since then. Um, and also they're adorable as fudge. <laughs> <laughs> that must be so much work, isn't it? Because when, when, when animals are that young, it's usually the mother that does all the work. But now, you know, you as the human has to take on all those responsibilities. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Uh, initially, if, it depends on how young they come to you. Uh, you know, uh, just about up to about two weeks old, they need to be fed every two hours around the clock. Wow. Uh, so it's so the bigger the litter, the less sleep you get because by the time you're done, it's almost time to feed the first one again. But um, it's very rewarding. And then it's not a long-term thing. So maybe for the first week and a half, it's every two hours. And then you stretch it to two and a half, to three, to three and a half, to four. And then before you know it, they're on solid food. And then you're still getting your, you know, five hours, six sleep or whatever it is that you need. Yeah. Mm. Rosie, I know that um, ARKL also takes on difficult cases. Like you mentioned earlier, they require extensive medical help, surgery in some cases. Um, And these are cases, I guess, that most people, if they come across on the street, they might not want to help. Or even if they do, euthanasia is the first thing that they might consider because of how much work it is, right? Um, They think that it is the better thing for the cat. But how do how do you guys make that decision to help? Because I assume these aren't easy decisions to make, um, both from a emotional and financial perspective, right? Were there particular ones that have stuck with you? Oh, yeah, a lot, a lot. Um, It's never an easy call when we ourselves, you know, come across a cat who clearly is super injured um, or somebody asks us to take on a case like that, which is also really, really hard. And uh, sometimes we... Yeah, it is a very emotional decision, I have to say, um, because there are no easy answers. There's no right answers and there's no way of telling what the future might bring. So um, actually, our most important kind of teammate in that aspect is actually our vet. So we work very, very closely with uh, one particular uh, vet clinic. Her name is Dr. Tio. She's at uh, Cyberlinks Animal Clinic, and she's been really inspirational in that she is so thorough with her medical knowledge and she has seen so many cases and she also helps us deal with a lot of these rescues and actually almost 100% of all of our cats go through her and her team and uh, she'll kind of take a look and she'll really try our best and she's not the type of person to shy away because they're stray, which we've experienced a lot and I understand where other vets are coming from but uh, Dr. Teo, it's just not her style. She'll just try everything before you know, making a call. So we really trust her decision. So when she says, you know, this cat has a chance, then we try, we throw everything at it. We throw the kitchen sink um, at the, at the situation. And we really try to make sure that the cat can at least have a comfortable life, even though we know we're not, they're not going to recover hundred percent, if that makes sense. So they can at least have a good rest of their lives, you know, being loved indoors and being well taken care of with full bellies and lots and lots of unconditional love. So we do have cases where we consider them palliative care and we have wonderful, wonderful uh, fosters who kind of step up and they say, you know, I want to be there for that cat. 
And I know it's going to be hard for me emotionally, but if that's the kind of joy and comfort I can bring this cat who's had such a tough life on the streets, then that's what I want to do. So we had this um, really heartbreaking case called uh, Nacha. And she was actually uh, 13 when she died uh, very recently, uh, less than a month ago. And uh, this cat had been kind of this community stray, so Mm -hmm. like a neighborhood stray who's been around for a long time. And she'd been repeatedly adopted out to somebody in the neighborhood and then dumped back in the same neighborhood. But it happened four times over 12 years. Oh, gosh. So four different people decided to adopt this cat. And then for whatever reason, it didn't work out for them. It didn't suit them anymore and put the cat back outside and wouldn't let her back in. So it was really, really heartbreaking. So after the fourth time, which was around uh, Chinese New Year of this year-ish, no, last year was it? Anyway, so she was dumped again and the rescuer found her and she had collapsed in the parking lot. Mm. So um, her original rescuer then rushed her to, thankfully, to go see, you know, our vet, Dr. Chiu, and she kind of said, okay, like her kidneys are in really bad shape. Her heart is in really bad shape. This poor cat has arthritis. She just can't be outside, you know, but she shouldn't have been in the first place. But at this point, she really cannot be outside. So, um, you know, credit to this original rescuer where she ended up uh, fundraising about it was like 4000 5000 It was not a small amount of money um, to pay for the hospitalization to get her really stabilized so that she could be in home care. And one of our amazing uh, star fosters, um, her name is Dia and her husband, Monk, um, they stepped up to say, you know what, we really want to give her a loving kind of send off, you know, from this from this world. And uh, we want to do everything that it takes. So they were able to take her on and actually Nacha lived with them for six months. And um, our whole team and our vet team were all shocked because we didn't think she had that much time left in her Mm -hmm. because she was in such bad shape. But she had six beautiful months of, you know, just being totally loved and all the attention and being indoors. And she got to enjoy, you know, the sun. And oh, gosh, it was it was really, really nice. And then eventually, like her time, her time came. But um, we also trust our vet, Dr. Tio, in that if there's something to be done, she will tell us. If there's really, really, really nothing to be done and she's tried everything, that's the only point where she will say, okay, it's, it's time to let her go because now the balance has shifted in the sense that this cat is now suffering for nothing. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, right at this point, it will be the kinder thing to, to let go. So when she says that, then we know, okay, all right, now now we understand that we've really tried everything. But at least we can, you know, sleep at night thinking that, you know what, we did everything in our power and that we did everything humanely possible. And uh, this cat had a good, you know, couple months of being loved. So, yeah. That's a wonderful story to hear. And I guess that, that, that brings up, I guess, the other aspect of the work that you do, which is dealing with humans as well. And that must be quite... Um, challenging, right? Because these are the people that you have to talk to before you get these cats adopted out, or before, or, or they may even reach out to you with a cat. I, I, I guess what what has that been like? You know, what's the most challenging part of, I guess, working with humans? When we uh, vet adopters, mm-hmm. there are, there are certain um, questions or criteria uh, that they need to meet. So in terms of that, that's easier because it's guided for us. So. Uh, for example, you know, um, 
in terms of their home, is it is it cat proof? You know, um, will the cat be safe indoors? Do they have other cats? Uh, do they have any experience? You know, and so so that that's a little bit easier. Um, people who find cats and reach out can be a little trickier. Uh, some are a star. You know, they're willing to, they'll, they'll say, okay, look, we'll surrender this cat to you, but we will pay all the vet bills, we will supply the food, we just need a space for them. Um, and so that is, space. Yeah. And so that is a big help uh, to us in terms of the care uh, of the cat. But then there are those who are uh, a little bit insistent, um, a little bit rude. Uh, they, we get a lot of emotional blackmail from some of the people who find cats because mm-hmm. then they'll be like, if you don't take this, the cat will die. Um, and we know that, but this is our limit. We've reached our capacity. There really is nothing to do. And so what we try and do is we try and work with them and we say, okay, look, we'll give you the resources. This, these are the vets that we trust. These are home borders if you can't keep them at home. You know, um, you can reach out on Pet Finder to, to find them a home or a pet backer. And we give them all these resources. And sometimes they just don't want to get involved. Uh, they just want to pat themselves on the back and go, look, I saved this cat. Uh, in reality, no, they haven't. Um, so we do get a lot of that emotional thing. And in fact, we had one guy who was like, oh, look, if you don't take them, we'll, I'll send her back on the streets. That's fine with me. What's another dead cat? Gosh, and that's really not nice. Um, and also, we get a lot of people sending us pictures and videos of maimed cats or cats who are not looking well, who are sick, who have, you know, terrible injuries. And we can't take the cat in, but then they don't think that these images stay with us. It, it gives us no joy to say no mm. to them. Uh, and so, in our dealings with people, I think these are some of the issues we face. Yeah. Hmm. I think every every rescuer is human as well, right? You go, you you each have your emotional and mental limit, um, and physical limit. And I guess these are things that we do need to think of, um, when when we when we think we're trying to do our part. But really, you know, there's so many things, um, that we've been talking about today. Right? So much happens behind the scenes that really we need to consider before you, you know, just ask someone if you can take in a cat that needs help. Um, I know that you guys also have long-term fosters i guess um, some of them who stay with you up to more than a year or more um why why are some cats more difficult to adopt adopt out than others um i think generally people are afraid of how a cat might go south um how things might get worse than the condition that they're in the medical condition that they're in but um so is it usually so is it usually because they have a medical condition Yes, I would say it's usually because of a medical condition. And sometimes it's a, it's a legitimate reason in the sense that, you know, Captain Scoots is probably one of our most famous cats. Um, he is paralyzed. He wears a nappy and he kind of scoots around at top speed and <laughs> he can even get up on cat trees with his very strong, you know, forelimbs and everything. But he does have to be, his bladder needs to be expressed every five to six hours. So uh, people say, oh, I don't really have time for that. And it's like, well, you know, you don't have time for it until they kind of drop in your lap. You know what I mean? And then you have to make time for it. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, Captain Scoots is now a very, very big part of my life and I wouldn't really have it any other way. And I didn't think I had time for that before either, but you kind of make it work. You make it work somehow. Um, but he's the kind of cat that is very mm, tough to get adopted because people can't always imagine changing their routine around um, to accommodate um, a case like that, even though technically he's not a medical case in the sense that he needs medication or that his situation is getting worse or anything like that. But is an adjustment in schedule. So um, for cases like that, then it can be very hard to adopt out. Um, but the other cases that shouldn't be hard to adopt out, but kind of are, are cases like um, we have this one cat called Pippin, and he's a really sweet cat. So in terms of, you know, we, we see a lot of cats. So of the 500, nearly 600 cats that we've ever rescued, if we had to give a top five of kind of best personalities ever, Pippin would be in there in the top five. But he used to have epilepsy. Hmm. So he doesn't even really have seizures anymore. He hasn't, he hasn't had it for more than six months. But because of the possibility that he might have a seizure in the future, he's not getting adopted. So it's like, well, <laughs> you know, so at what point can you say a cat has fully recovered from epilepsy? Do you know what I mean? So if he hasn't had seizures for more than six months, which is more than half of his life, can you at that point say that he no longer has epilepsy or, you know, so people are very scared and that they don't know how to deal with it. And they're not sure how they can accommodate in the off chance that he might die unexpectedly. But I think the reality is all cats are going to get sick and all cats are going to die, same as humans, same as any other living thing. And it's part of being a cat parent is that you see your animal through um, illnesses and sicknesses and they recover and then eventually they won't. And that's a very natural part of it. And I think it's important to find cat parents who are willing to be part of that whole process from start to finish and know that it's a big part of it as well. And not, you know, of course, you're going to be crushed and you're going to be very emotionally sad and, of course, traumatized. But I think it's important that this animal has somebody on their side that love them un unconditionally, you know. Um, so for a case like Pippin, who has no medications, he has no symptoms, but because he had this uh, history as a baby that he might not get adopted is, is sad. Or... Um, a lot of street cats coming in, especially if they're a little bit older, they mm -hmm. tend to have kidney issues. This is really common because they've probably gone through life being, you know, I don't know, slightly dehydrated or have eaten things on the streets that may have damaged their kidneys or anything like that. And uh, kidney function doesn't uh, recuperate. It doesn't come back. Once it starts going downhill, it starts going very slowly downhill or very quickly, depending on the maintenance that you're able to provide for the cat. So a lot of older cats will have chronic kidney disease, which is a very simple way of saying their kidney functions are declining. But you can control that speed. But CKD cats are very unlikely to get adopted because people think that, oh, this is going to kill them. I don't want them. But it's like, well, you know, something's going to kill any cat at some point, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I think... What we want to try to encourage adopters is to try to look at the cats who might need a little bit of extra hand. And it could be something as simple as food allergies. So they need, you know, a specialized food. So that's not a, we all have allergies. We were just talking about them. <laughs> so allergies um, theoretically, hopefully doesn't deter somebody from wanting to give a lovely cat a home or a previous medical history that we want to disclose. We would never hide it. 
but you know we want to work with them so uh i would say those are the kind of situations where cats are a bit more unlikely to get adopted but it's not always uh, a valid concern so it's something that you know you could really think through and then once we're able to give you exact you know budgetary um expectations and kind of expectations in terms of care and time that hopefully is something people might be able to consider because those are the kind of cats and dogs and other animals that really need help. Hmm. Sometimes color too plays a big role. Uh, yeah. yeah. The people, a lot of people look at the outside uh, instead of considering the personality of the cat. So sometimes we find that uh, black cats uh, or tortoiseshell cats because they look dirty um, those take a little bit longer uh, to get adopted out. Yeah. Hmm. I know you guys are always looking out looking for fosters as well, right? Um, I guess, could you describe a bit more for people who want to foster, you know, what are the responsibilities, um, you know, briefly, what are the responsibilities that come with it? I guess, what should people expect? You provide a safe space for the cat. <laughs> so there are some fosters who already have their own cats. And so it's up to them if they want to integrate their cats with the fosters or if they have a separate room for the fosters and the fosters never meet their cats at all, that's also a fine arrangement. Um, And then it's also up to them um, what their comfort level is. So are you okay with kittens? Are you okay with uh, teenage cats? Do you only want older cats? Do you want one, two? Can you take a mom and a whole litter of kittens? Which ironically is the easiest mm. because you only need to take care of mama and she takes care of everything else. So although it, it sounds like a lot, that's really the, the easiest. And then uh, normally the foster takes care of the food and the litter um, and the toy, kind of the bills. Uh, and uh, allergic rescuers will cover the vet bills. Hmm. Other than fostering, is there any sort of, um, I guess, help that you, you that you guys are always out look, uh, looking out for? So, you know, if you can't adopt the cat, uh, a foster one, if not, you can give finances or you can simply just share our stories to try and help us get a cat adopted. So sharing information is something that everybody can do. It's just really a click of the button and that can be very helpful as well. So like uh, recently we've launched a series of infographics uh, for cat parents. And so if you could share that and just spread some awareness about um, vaccinations and all um, that or how to be a responsible pet parent or or tips from our vet as to how to be a good pet parent. If you could just help us to spread that information, that would be really helpful as well. Hmm. Um, and Lynette, where can people find you? I know you're very active on social media. Yes, uh, so we've got Instagram, um, at Allergic Rescuers Kale, uh, and the Facebook, Allergic Rescuers Kale. <laughs> and we have a website. Mm. All right, great. Um, and before we end, just could I get a, a brief message from each of you um, about about why you keep doing what you're doing? It's impossible not to do what we're doing when you see a kitten that you fish out of a drain and, you know, they're in bad shape. But it turns out they just needed a week of love and then they're totally fine. Um, <laughs> I just rescued one last Saturday and I was not expecting it. And she had gunk all over her eyes and you could feel all the bones and, uh, and she was kind of spaced out and kind of like derpy looking and uh and then she doubled her weight in a week and now she's running around terrorizing all my cats and uh <laughs> and demanding food and licking my my toes um saying i want more food i want more food and you know when you see things like that you think wow 
that really took barely any time or effort on my part to literally save this cat's life and you know I'm gonna make sure she has a good home and um, so I think I think when I see cases like that it, it kind of washes away all the all the tiredness or the or the the difficulties that you were facing and then you kind of makes you realize okay for this one cat it was 100% worth it and for you yeah. Lynette um, for me, it's seeing the success stories. So we've got in some really, really sick kittens um, who came to us maybe half paralyzed and went on to make a full recovery. Uh, you know, one kitten was so sick, she had like pneumonia and the flu and conjunctivitis. Um, and we we didn't even think she would make it. Um, but she's she's grown up now. She has a, her own pet dog. It's hilarious. Um, and um, so it's just seeing these success stories and knowing that it didn't take much for us at all to make a difference uh, to these lives. You know, we've had kittens who have migrated with their humans overseas and are now like living it up in Germany, in Portugal, um, in the UK. And so then for us, it just makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for um, taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. I've been speaking to Rosie Kim and Lynette Yee, um, who are members of Allergic Rescuers KL, a network of individuals who have been helping to rescue and rehome stray cats around KL and the surrounding areas. And if you want to get in touch with them, if you want to adopt a cat or help them out, you can look them up, um, as they mentioned earlier, at Allergic Rescuers KL on Instagram or on Facebook. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Good Things episodes, you can look up the podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Good Things on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.